Hey, everybody. Welcome to Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hith Liday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing? Hanging in there. Just uh, happy to have electricity at this point. Uh, it is necessary for podcasting. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're going to... We're going to do all basketball uh, this episode. Uh, uh, basketball famously was invented by Dr. James Naismith as a way to do athletics during the winter months indoors um, when the weather's uh, turned south. So how appropriate. Uh, you wrote an article um, about the women's basketball team, specifically uh, whether or not Kelly Graves had lost it. Um he then, of course, has uh, won all of his games since you published that article. So uh, I don't know. E- either that's embarrassing or mission accomplished. I don't know. What do you think? Um, no, it's uh, like I said, it's uh, it's good to see. I'm never going to be um, upset about them actually finally figuring out a way to win games. Um, I, you know, I, I did write the article just to kind of like based on what I'd seen. Um and what I had seen up to that point was a team that was unorganized, sloppy, and unmotivated. And uh, so I just kind of called out on that. And um, I think when you when you when you look at the team as a whole, um, there just doesn't seem to be the the the, the right amount of cohesion uh, that they've had in previous years. Even you know even when we were looking at the team last year. Uh, during some of their more signature wins, they, they, they had what appeared to be some good cohesion going on. Um, especially, you know, after, you know, they, they missed out on the NCAA tournament and made the uh, WNIT, uh, you still saw a great amount of cohesion there um, uh, that enabled them to kind of advance pretty far. Um, that was just something that we weren't really seeing much of uh, this season. And luckily, we were able to see a little more of it the past couple games. Uh, particularly against Arizona, um, but I think that um, having having a team that understands where they need to be on the floor, and not only that, but like a team that understands pretty much like the ebb and flow of the game, uh, because it seems like they'll be perfectly fine as long as things are, are bouncing their way. But the the instant that it doesn't, it seems like a lot of panic sets in for them, and they just start kind of like hoisting up you know, contested shots from wherever they can get on the floor. And, and that, that kind of, that kind of floor spacing, that kind of, uh, you know, just like unable to read the ebb and flow to what kind of weather storms of, of when the other team will make a run, that's just part of basketball. And so essentially, yeah. Um, a lot of that does come down to coaching, especially when you're dealing with kind of like a young or, you know, unex- inexperienced team. And uh, yeah, I, I, I figured I needed to uh, just shine some light on that because uh, we know that Graves is co- capable of coaching a, a very good team. Uh, but the you know the big question is, is if he doesn't have that transcendent athlete like Inescu and you know the the proper pieces, uh, can can he still do the job through his coaching? Yeah, I've never really thought that that was like a, a super great you know criticism of any coach because it's like. Well, can can you win if you uh, don't have talented athletes? Like, like finally the coach who can win at a high level without talented athletes, you know, yeah. like, um, you know, it's sort of, and, and also like the name of the game in college is 
you know, finding and, and recruiting talented athletes. So like, you know, like it, if you're a team who takes pride in your coach, who really coaches up the, like the, the bunch of untalented athletes that you're getting every single year, like, dude you're kind of missing the point like you know why do you get a bunch of untalented athletes every year you know yeah um but that that certainly wasn't the case with him you know well yeah with that particularly with that one recruiting class where well you know that was the thing is that i you know for for the couple years prior to this one you know where where oregon had tahina pow pow and india rogers and i you know i spent a lot of time kind of frustrated with them because I was sort of like, you know, Rogers and Pow Pow were, I don't know, something like, you know, I'm not sure what exactly the number is. I'm just going to pull a number out of the air. They were something like 15% off of what their production ought to have been. Yeah. Like, um, and like, that was the difference between Oregon winning and losing games. And it's like, you, you know, the game needed to go through them and they needed to step up and just be like more effective, like, the, you know, more effective offensively. And I was just like, and, and it was just like very clear to me that like the, the fact that they weren't mm-hmm. like, that was it. And, and one of the reasons why I never really, you know, got that mad at graves was, you know, well, two reasons. Number one, is that like I always thought the team played very good defense. Uh yeah. you, you know, like I I've never been one of these like super panickers who like in fact it's one of the things that really frustrates me as an analyst, you know, when I you know, no matter what sport I'm looking at and no matter what fan base I'm looking at Oregon or other teams fan bases where if if they're losing games, you know, or things are going or they're just not winning games you know like they're they're playing a a worse team but they're playing them close um and they're frustrated and they just start listing everything that could possibly go wrong including stuff that isn't really going wrong uh and i'm like well you're not actually analyzing the game here you're just being emotional like uh and so like i've always sort of been like hey guys could you actually pay attention like there's there's some good defense going on here and like Mm -hmm. you know this is this is actually you know so like so, so that you know I, I wanted to acknowledge you know good defense and like you know i always thought the rotations were appropriate and i always just sort of it comes down to like could could you please be making some more baskets you know the the people who are you know need to be making more baskets yeah star so players then, need to be stars right and, and like it really just came down to that and then so then they leave and at the end of that year i was sort of like you know not i don't want to like go so far as to say something like nasty or something like good riddance because that's not how i felt but it was like okay you know kelly like now's the time you know to to the point of your article you know about like evaluating kelly graves sort of like okay you brought in this like you know big talented class but it was sort of under the COVID evaluation era where like nobody got to see these people in person. And, yeah. and so like, I sort of gave him a mulligan on, you know, uh, like that was another one that I was willing to give him a mulligan on because it's sort of like, 
saying oh well he got a bunch of five stars and they didn't pan out like come on like he did get to like evaluate this like that wasn't a normal evaluation period because of covid Mm -hmm. uh and like for all we know like you know Oregon should have a national championship you know COVID robbed him of that too you know like in how much extra grace would you be willing to extend you know Kelly Gray's if he had that you know so anyway that you know that was my stance which is like okay now it's time you know now we get to see you know this for real like you're going to replace Pow Pow and Rogers with with folks who actually have that extra 20 percent and then like oh boy did that not happen like yeah. i mean i you'd kill for for rogers and pow pow right now right mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> you know oregon doesn't have a ball hand you know they don't have a ball handler at all right like they don't they don't have like to your point about cohesion you know it's like well i could tell you why they don't have cohesion they don't have a point guard you know yeah. <laughs> like and like but that's keller's fault right like they didn't they didn't have a point guard at all recruited. They had to go to the mm-hmm. transfer portal to get one, Peyton Scott, and then she got injured, and they didn't have a backup. So, yeah. like, this is the situation they're in. They're in a situation where they have only three people who can make a bucket, who are Chance Gray, who's like, you know, if she's on, but sometimes she's not. Mm-hmm. And, and and Grace is great, you know. I really don't have anything, you know. She's fantastic, you know. And Nache, who's like, I think that she's, you know, a dominant force. But you know, just the 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 nature of, I mean, just the nature of any five is like you need someone to dish her the ball, which means like the rest of the team has to be functioning. And like the, that's the problem is the rest of the team's not functioning, and so like they can't. You know, like her, her her numbers can be hit or miss based on, you know, whether, you know, the rest of the team is, is getting her the ball. And then like, but really the problem is, I mean, you can look at it every single night in the box score is it's like outside of those three, it's goose egg, goose egg, goose egg, goose egg, goose egg, like down the, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, you know, Basham, both Williams you know rhombus sophia bell like no like it's good like i'm not exaggerating either i mean it's goose like they are getting zero points yeah out of every other player on every single night yeah you know like they get no production at all to the point where like i feel ridiculous now for having complained about pow pow and rogers you know <laughs> like in, by by comparison right exactly it's like they were yeah. producing 12 points a night and i wanted 15 and i'm like you know that's the problem is that you know like or, or you know I, I wanted 16 not 12 you know and and those you know the eight points that we were missing between the two of them like those were the differences between winning and losing well winning and losing well now you're not getting six you know you're not getting the 16 points you're not getting the 12 points you're not getting anything you know it's like yeah but so now now, now you just have basically the team minus what they did provide yeah so in like in this sense it's sort of like i mean kelly graves is not on the floor shooting buckets you know like on the other hand like this is kelly graves roster you know like you know kelly graves selected kenny basham and sophia bell and sarah rhombus and yeah still that was kind of part of the you know the 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 harp was not necessarily just the 
in-game coaching, but the uh, the roster building and roster management. And yeah, just, that's, yeah. I, I mean, he's got like seven or eight people on the team who like produce zero buckets a night. Yeah, and then when you and that 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 becomes an issue when you're talking about a head coach who who isn't putting together a, a proper roster full of people that can actually like get you points. I mean, but it's like can, the defense is still good. Like that's yeah, you know, the defense like the, is fine, but you the, have to be able to produce something. You have to. But it's you know. it's weird. It's it's almost like like I, I actually don't have like a, a lot of fans that you know I see commentary on are, are sort of like. Oh, uh, you know, where's Kelly Graves like fire and passion? You know, when I'm when I'm watching him on the floor, you know, it's like he's not even really coaching. And I'm like, what coaching do you expect to be him to be doing? He's got like eight players who are producing goose eggs every night. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, as much as like I really I don't have a lot of criticism for him as an in-game you know on the floor coach because it's his roster that's the problem. It's his roster that's the problem. Like he's a hundred percent responsible for this roster. Yeah. So it's more of it's more of the roster building or lack thereof than it is about necessarily in-game coaching. I mean that's definitely my stance. It's, yeah, but no, it's, I mean it's my it's my stance too. I mean you know basically kind of like what I was saying was that this is like it's not like he he doesn't know how to coach, but it's just like if you you know what I mean if you if you have a roster full of stinkers, um and you lose you know like the the two players that were actually like consistently productive, then like what do you replace them with and how do you move forward from that? And so that was kind of my gripe was that like is like as as of you know late they hadn't really been moving forward from that very well at all. In fact, they had like receded exactly like you know maybe a lot of people would expect them to recede. I mean, it's just astonishing. Like I, I mean, I've never like I you know I, I look at these box scores every night. You know, for 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 women's basketball, you know, for teams that aren't very good. You know, I don't see other like I don't see teams, including teams that are bad women's basketball teams. And look, man, like I hope I know how this is going to sound. It's just true. Bad women's basketball teams are really bad. Like yeah. there's just not enough talent for for reasons that have to do with the you know the construction of society oh, we don't encourage yeah. enough women to to you know who there's probably field. that's that's why you see such right. ridiculous such ridiculous lopsided scores in women's basketball right. and why programs I mean, there, like uconn were able to literally yeah. be like undefeated yeah there's just like not enough years. talent to go around and it gets yeah. hoarded by a small number of programs you know and the reason why there's not enough talent to go wrong pr probably has to do you know not so much with biology and much more to do with society like like there's probably some of the best potential women's basketball players in the world have never picked up a basketball yeah true because of you know bullshit yeah. uh and I, I don't want to explore that too much more it's just a it's a fact no, but it's uh, a, you know, it is it is a it is a harrowing fact in but, society and all of which <laughs> just goes to say that when a women's basketball team is not very good like it's really bad and yeah. 
And so really bad women's basketball teams, when I pull up their box score, I still don't see eight players with goose eggs. Yeah. You know, like I've never seen anything like this where it's eight players with goose eggs, you know, every night, you know, and three players who are just like, well, I guess we shoot all of our baskets yeah. for this team. And like, no, it's it's pretty astonishing. It, it literally reminds me of like I went to a very small private middle school and, uh, you know, we had a basketball team, <laughs> if you could call it that. But literally me and and probably like two or three other guys had actually legitimately picked up a basketball throughout the course of their life, you know? And, and it was literally the same thing. It was like, you could expect on a nightly basis that maybe like three of us would score all the points in the entire game. Mm. It was like, nobody else would do anything, but it's like, that's understandable at a, at a middle school level with or with a little tiny school with 150 kids or something. That's not understandable when you have a program like U of O especially like one that got the notoriety and the, you know, the attention that they got for when they were competing for a national championship. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, the thing, it's just like, it's hard to believe that, that you could select this many players who can't make a bucket. And it's not because they're not shooting either. Like where, where it's like, oh, we have a concerted strategy to just get all of the shots to three players and everybody else is sort of support it is like, no, no, the whole point of our strategy is to, you know, to, to, to dump it off to chance to make the shot like, no, that's not true. I mean, Sophia Bell will attempt four shots a night and just miss them all, yeah. you know uh and and so forth you know it's it's you know why the shooting percentage is in you know the low 40s or sometimes 30s you know yeah. uh, it's, not, it's not like the shots aren't being taken they're just not being made like ever yeah and it's just like i've never i don't understand and and the idea that it's like well why don't you just hire a better like assistant coach to train them to shoot better it's like man i don't i I don't, I have a hard time buying that. Like, I think, I think like a coach, a shooting coach can sort of improve things around the margins, but like numbers, oh, yeah. like numbers like this just sort of indicate to me that like, you just don't have it. Like, and, yeah. and then the question is like, how did he manage to select eight players who don't have it? Like, that's crazy. And then how do you get yourself out of that kind of hole? Well, you can like, not this year. Like you're not, yeah. That's but that's you know that's kind of the point. Like a, much more so in you know in women's basketball than in men's. Not that it's not true in men's too, but it's more true in women's that it's it's the the winning is going to matter more uh, because you know if you really look at the history of Oregon basketball, even when Oregon would have kind of like you know stinker years with their men's team, they could still attract attention of better players to come in and help improve that team. With women's basketball, it's a lot tougher to do that. Um, you, you know, you they, they really, like you said, the, the talent pool is a lot smaller to dip into. And the really talented ones are like, I want to go somewhere where I'm going to win. You know, I realize that I'm one of, you know, you know so many yeah. people that can actually play this way. I don't want to waste my talent playing for a team that can't win games. Well, and then the other thing is that, like, the – Kelly Grancy can kind of get fired. Like, you know, regardless of the arguments about why, you know, he, maybe he should be, 
like you know he got a contract extension in 2021 that runs through i think the end of the 2028 2029 season mm-hmm. and like it, it's just the math the math doesn't work out the the amount of money that it would cost you know in order to fire him and then to get a coach that you reasonably believe who would be better and and buy that coach out of his or her contract like you've now added up like two big chunks of change like and and what you would need to get out of that in order to like so you would be you know two big chunks of change into the hole and what are you going to get to climb out of that hole? Well, yeah. okay, better attendance at Matthew Knight Arena for women's basketball games, for more ticket sales to to you know or prestige of the program. Like there's no like even if you could guarantee that this new coach would you know light the world on fire and Oregon won every single game, the additional revenue that that would bring in there's no way that it would be enough to dig out of the the hole that you would create from those two chunks of change of 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 paying for graves buyout and paying the buyout of some other you know uh, uh, a good looking coach who's any good looking coach would be employed elsewhere and would have a big buyout yeah. uh so like it's not going to happen like you know not with rob mullins you know not you know not the, not with the guy who told terry white to take a hike you know like yeah if it ain't football he's not spending money on it like which i mean honestly which is understandable because that's, i mean he's a very bottom line driven yeah he I spends mean, money on football because football makes money he doesn't yeah. spend money on anything else because nothing else makes money like True. regardless of whether you agree or disagree with that philosophy like that is his philosophy and yeah. he's in charge so unless well, you, you mindset, yeah <laughs> if you, and if you want to change that listener you need to become a billionaire and endow a fund um <laughs> uh and and if if you are not in that position well you need to or uh, or 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 find a way to get uh the oregon fan base in general to care more about basketball yeah well i mean care enough to to you know pass the hat around enough to assemble you know enough money to get that done i just don't i it's a lot of money um and i don't think that that uh, you know you're gonna find it like it's just strikes me as very unlikely and so like we are left to sort of analyze what the situation is but the Mm -hmm. the, but like that's it ain't gonna change you know it's just Um, there's not there there, there's the answer to my uh to my bomb (laughs) financially no like it's, it's 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 not gonna happen but uh, I, I mean, as as has been the, the case in a lot of those uh, opinion articles, it was more about releasing frustration, I think. Yeah, right? well, Rather I mean, than... you did. I mean, honestly, he beat Arizona State and Arizona. <laughs> yeah, no, like, that's what I'm saying. So I don't know. Maybe. I, I mean, I like Arizona State's not a great team, but like and Arizona's having a little like, you know, Ada Barnes is a pretty good coach. And like they're, they're having a, a like a bit of a struggle. But the game went down to a wire. It was kind of a weird game. Like, because they played it in, uh, because of the ice storm, they played it in a, um, in a, like just a total vacuum. Like it was yeah. like empty. Oh, yeah. And it was like, I, empty. 
the uh, the 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 our our counterparts at Arizona Desert Swarm, Kim Doss wrote that article up, and 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 Kim was like, dude, it was kind of a tomb, and I think that affected the game. And like a lot of times, I hear stuff like that, and that sounds like excuse making. But like I don't know, I was feeling it too when I was watching it on TV. Like it did sort of feel weird. Yeah. Um, well, threw threw you back to the COVID days when they were just playing yeah. in essentially empty arenas. Well, we'll talk about that when we talk to. I think Tristan covered that game. Um, but like anyway, the like like I said, like I don't buy the argument that Graves has lost his touch as an on court coach, and I don't buy the argument that um that he like he doesn't care i think fans go to that way too fast they're like where's the fire and the pain you know Mm -hmm. that's as you say about your article it's sort of like venting you know and like i don't i don't really find that to be serious like i you know you know someone experiencing different emotions than you're experiencing (laughs) right now like like you'd be you'd be surprised how many people do take it seriously even though i pretty much said at the beginning that i didn't want people to take it too seriously it's just oh yeah it's just no, a duck, I ju- fan, duck fan venting is what it is. No, I just mean that like yeah. like that. It, it's a very human thing, but it's also like a very like fundamentally unserious way to analyze yeah. something. It's like you seem to be expressing a different emotion than the emotion that I'm feeling right now. Only my emotions are valid, and so therefore, yeah. you know, y- your reaction is inappropriate and and <laughs> not up to the task. You know, and 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 so therefore, like you can't possibly be a serious person. Yeah. You know, because you're not processing this emotionally in a way that's similar to how I am feeling. So I, I'm just like, dude, uh, can we look at box scores? You know, like yeah. that is the appropriate way to process things. You know. Anyway, the uh, I, I don't buy those arguments. Like you know, and and and, and I think if by some miracle kelly graves got a functional roster you, you would he would go right back to dominating the pack 12 like yeah probably I, I like i don't i i absolutely do not buy the argument that he like doesn't care and he's like retired with this contract that he can't be you know fired from i don't but like i think he wants to win and, and i think he has the chops to win he just like doesn't have the players now he's responsible for that but like so like shame on him but and you really have no way of holding him accountable for it but which yeah is depressing but it's a sticky situation for sure but i i guess like i guess this sort of sounds like cold comfort but like i mean look what grace van suten is doing you know yeah he just needs like four more grace fan salutants yeah exactly <laughs> we got our one we just need a, a few more all right uh you got anything more to say about this <laughs> not too much we kind of covered the nitty-gritty of it uh right. gave gave it gave a, a, a an answer to my to my musings so what, what do you think about what i just said that like do, do you think he's you know still has his touch like an, as an on as an on-floor coach, from from what I can see, yeah, I, it, it it doesn't he doesn't seem like through interviews or with you know like viewing him on the floor or anything like that that he's checked out by any means. Yeah, it just is. It's is. I, I imagine it's like much more of a frustrating situation for him than it is for us as fans. Even yeah. just the fact that it's just like, oh, I I want to win, but I can't with with you know this roster that I have. 
I just I can't explain the roster failures though. Uh, that's like, that's the that's kind of where I, I, I where, where I got on his case the most. I think was. I mean, I feel awesome. like if if you know like, drawing names out of a hat would have done better. Yeah, you know, like it's crazy. Uh, all right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll switch over to the men's side. So last week, uh, uh, on the men's side, uh, Oregon only played one game. Uh, it was against Cal. Uh, for some reason, they didn't play Stanford. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure why that was. Yeah, yeah I, was... I, I, I tried to do a little digging to find out why, but <laughs> really couldn't come up with anything. Uh, the <laughs> the game against Cal had enough swings and emotion and excitement for two. Uh, uh, though, um, you know, at one point Oregon was down by 18, uh, they came back and won by seven. Um, it was, it was quite the thriller. It was, it was good stuff. And, um, from that game, I was, I was pleased with Oregon's resiliency, uh, because, you know, when Cal came out like that and just kind of exploded out of the gate, that's a lot of times a game where you could just chalk it up to like, Okay, we've been playing really well. Now all of a sudden, we're we're stumbling against a team that we should beat. But these kind of things happen sometimes. You know, these other teams are just on fire, and there's no stopping it, and yada yada yada. But what I liked is even even before halftime, they clearly had that fire about them that they were like, "No, what the hell's going on here? We're the better team. We're the more talented team, and we we should be taking it to these guys." And then they pretty much went out and did that, you know, all the way to close out the, the, the first half, uh, really just kind of like asserting themselves. And um, then you had what, you know, just ended up being kind of like a closer than comfortable game for the second half. Uh, but I think, you know, once Oregon took the lead, then it seemed like they were kind of like on the precipice of becoming like, you know, fully in control of the game. It didn't quite happen uh, because Cal kept fighting their way back a little bit, but you never really got the sense after Oregon went ahead that they weren't in control of the game. And that's what I really like to see uh, from that Cal game was that the fact that just like, as soon as they got over kind of like the shock of how well Cal came out to play and, and that big deficit and everything, once they got past that, you saw just like a determination and a, and a belief in themselves that like, Hey, we're the stronger team here. We're, we're the more talented team and we're going to take it to them. And you never really got a sense, like I said before, that once they took the lead, that they weren't in control of the game itself. I mean, it was just like, uh, I mean, it is an easy thing to observe in, in hindsight, uh, you know, the basketball is a game of runs and, you know, don't, don't get too up. Don't get too down. Um, but oh God, when you were watching it at the time, just the way that, that Cal came out, I mean, it doesn't even last for the entire first half. It's just like, it, it was actually kind of the thing that made me wish that men's college basketball were played in quarters because it would make the, you know, like, I, I wish I could break it down and just look at the quarter, the first yeah. quarter, you know, of it, because it's like the first half of the first half for Cal, mm -hmm. they could not miss a basket. No. Like, I mean, it was bonkers. Like, um, and meanwhile, Oregon couldn't make a basket in the first half, you know, and so it was, you know, now, 
but but like because you know college men's basketball is not broken into quarters even just looking at the the first half box score doesn't look too bad you know first half box score Oregon is 44% from the floor, 35% from beyond the arc. Cal is uh, 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 54% from the floor, 41% from the arc, which means, you know, Oregon had a, you know, nominal first half. Uh, Cal had a, uh, a, a pretty good, you know, first half. Um, but like, uh, but that's just the half, you know, the, the first quarter, I swear to God, you know, Cal must've been like 80% and Oregon must've been like 10%. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just like, you've, this is insane. It was and just, then, it was, it was just like getting a, a roundhouse to the face in the first round, you know? Yeah. Like, it was just like, what is happening? You know? And like, Cal's not, I mean, Cal's like on the bottom of the conference, you know? Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're yeah, it's like, this is what is happening. And then, because basketball is a game of runs, you know, just reality asserts itself, you know, for the rest of the first half, you know, or, you know, the, the first half basically ends on what was it, like a 16 to two run or 16 to three, something like that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and just like Cal sort of, you know, they they stop being on fire. Oregon plays nominal basketball to the point where Oregon finishes, like I said, with a nominal first half box score, you, you know, and, uh, and, and Cal, despite like starting out with like crazy numbers, finishes with like, you know, oh, only, you know, you know, 55 percent from the floor. Mm-hmm. Right. But then the second half, you know, oh boy, does reality assert itself? Like, I mean, you, you said that, like, uh, you know, oh, oh it was sort of an uncomfortably close. Like, if if this game were just the second half, like Cal would have been dead meat, you oh, know, yeah. like, yeah, it, you know, because completely like, in, yeah, like in the second half, Cal is thirty four percent from the floor and eight percent from from three yeah. like that was really yeah. the thing was that oregon kept pushing like pushing the ball to the perimeter because cal could i mean they were one for 12 from beyond the arc in the second half like they they you know for a team that couldn't miss from three to start the game you, you know they yeah. then became like the most ice cold team in the world which like basketball's the game of runs you know and cal like, doesn't cal didn't have like the uh you know the inside presence and the uh, and the post players to make yeah. a game out of it, kind of like UCLA did when the same thing happened to them. Right. They didn't hit the broadside of a barn from outside, right, exactly. but they had the post players and the size advantage inside to keep it close. In this sense, not only does Cal not have those same caliber players, but then you had Dante back in the mix, whose presence makes a big difference, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, and I mean, that's the, the, the experiment of the next of the last two games. Well, that's it. That that's enough talking about Cal, you know, it was just, you needed to weather the storm of the craziness of Cal being unstoppable. And then just reality asserted itself again. And Cal was stoppable, like eminently stoppable. So then what the rest of the, the story of the game is, 
and like how have we gone this long and not talked about it the what the story of the game is is how oregon is getting players back you know yeah. so they're you know they they got in folly dante back you know you know and he came back thunderous you know he comes back and like is the first time he touches the balls is is an awesome dunk you know he 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 gets a, a an awesome block in this game you know like he's playing good defense you know because he's a big oh, yeah. man and and what really it allows to what really it allows is to rotate out the diora evans phenomenon where they, <laughs> you, you know because D because diora can't make a shot you know they would only have him in to play defense and then yeah. evans boy there's a question i really want to ask you about where the hell evans production has gone in the last two games because he's really sort of stunk it up on the floor um, i don't know I, I i mean you could you could try and surmise that maybe he was you know feeling kind of like less pressure on himself now that dante's back kind of like oh okay yeah. it's not all on my shoulders now or something and maybe that made him kind of lackadaisical that's because uh, i'm not really sure i mean clearly the dude has the talent you know he had been playing definitely up to his five-star status in in all the games that dante had missed so but i mean that was this that that was the strat that was the you know altman strategy was to sort of like to voltron together you, you know kwame evans and and mohammed diwara to to make one and folly dante yeah. where you know because they're both tall dudes right and yeah. and you know they're, and they're evans, bigger they're not they're not dante size yeah i know but like <laughs> but you can get you know some good defensive play out of diawara mm -hmm. and you can get some good scoring out of you know evans and like diawara is at least even though he's not really going to score that much he can at least do some posting up and even though evans is not really a huge defensive threat he is at least huge and he's so and yeah he, you know he, he yeah he can get his arms play. up you yeah. know and, and like even in this even in this game against cal he gets two blocks right yeah. in fact he leads yeah. the team you know with blocks um so like you know that, that that's you know, with Infali Dante out, you know, that was Altman's strategy was to have Evans and Diawara playing to sort of like approximate one Infali Dante. So then they get Infali Dante back and it's like, oh, we don't need to approximate him anymore. We just have him. Yeah. Except it's been very clear both in this game and then the Colorado game that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Like, like he's not physically like his conditioning is just not there. his conditioning like, is yeah yeah he's just not i mean he's just weak as a kitten i mean yeah. not literally but like he's i mean like it's really easy to trap him like he's not able to like push people out of the way like no. you don't yeah. you don't see that kind of offensive repertoire of, of move of moves and footwork that he was displaying yeah. last year either and honestly, like defensively, he hasn't been super great. Like he's still like, I mean, obviously his size is still great and he still moves his arms really well. And so you get like blocks and you get people to like check out of drives. Like it's like he definitely affects, he definitely affects teams trying to push it to the basket because yeah. like you can't, 
you can't challenge his size. But in terms of him, like, you know, posting up um, or when teams are trying to post up against him, like he's losing those battles. Like yeah. If this was football that I was watching, you know, it would be like watching an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman get put on roller skates like yeah. i I, mm-hmm. I watch him in the last two games just get put on roller skates and i'm just like oh yeah. man he's just he's not there you know no. like he's he's physically just not and so it's sort of like it's gonna take know. it's gonna take you know i mean he was out for you know that whatever amount of time and you know yeah. and it's just like it's it's not going to be that he just comes back and is exactly the player he was it's, it's gonna take a hot second for him to kind of I mean, regain that stamina regain that strength like trust overall trust in his own knee and stuff like that you know trust yeah. in his own body because you know you see that a lot when players come back from an injury the, the tentativeness that they play with like to not like trying not to get injured again and it's so it's sort of been interesting to watch you know where it's like he's not going to get in better shape by not playing him so you know as soon as Oregon sort of took control of this game it's like the, you know, Mo started the game for obvious reasons, but then Dante, you know, comes in, but then like when Oregon's not in control of the game, cause Cal goes crazy. Like Altman's like, okay, I can't afford to have a non-functional Dante on the floor. So he pulls him. But then when Oregon gets control of the game again, he puts Dante back in and I'm detecting a strategy. And I'm wondering if you think I'm off base about this, Adam. That it's like, I need to get Dante in because I need to get him time. And I, but I can only do it when I can afford to do it. Like when yeah. we're in control of the game. Oh yeah. That's, uh, I, I think that's, that's, that's a strategy you see across, across sports a lot, yeah. especially in basketball. And one that I've seen, because people will get really excited. They'll get, they'll get super hyped up when a player returns. They'll be like, mm-hmm. Oh you can see him putting on his jersey. He's stepping out into the floor again. Yes, yes, we're at full strength now. We're coming for you, you know. But it's like, and no, you're not at full it's like, no, And in some sense, I mean? it actually it weakens the rest of the Yeah, game. that's what I'm saying. It's It, it actually sometimes can, like you just said, it can ruin the ebb and flow that the team has developed without that player on the floor. And I've, I've seen it many, many times where like a, a player that you think is going to make a positive impact comes back and actually slows things down a little bit. And it takes a little bit for them to kind of like get readapted because what happened was it's an interesting situation because not only was Dante out, but Biddle has been out too. And like I said, you know, thankfully there's good news that Biddle most likely will be back playing this season. And then the Um, third one is, is Mookie cook. Who's, who's also been playing, but that's another one where like, it's been very ginger. Yeah, you know, because because with in. without Cook and without Dante, Oregon developed you know kind of like a you know a chemistry. They developed like a rhythm, and so you know you you add these players and you're like, oh, this is only going to make us better. But those players have to figure out how to factor into that rhythm, and so that's why people you know what I mean. Like if they're so pleased to see Dante back on the floor and they're so pleased to see Cook out there. And then you're like, well, wait a minute, though. Why aren't they doing what I thought they would do? It's like, well, you have to you have to chill for a little bit. You have to be patient because now the team has to readjust and be like, oh, OK, we had developed this rhythm with just so and so and just so and so on the floor. Now we got these new guys in here and we have to find a way to work them into that. 
And so I think that's why you're seeing not only this happen with Dante, but you're seeing it happen with Cook too, uh, because I think a lot of people were really expecting him to just come in and just be like, super explosive right off the bat and just be like, wow, this is like our yeah. you know, freshman phenom or whatever. And you haven't seen that out of them. Right. That's because the team had already developed that kind of rhythm that they were playing at without him. So now he's got to figure out a way to factor into that. So then I don't know. It's been it, so like with, with Evans, I, I don't understand what's going on with Evans in the last two games where, like, his offensive production has just, like, fallen off of a cliff. Like, I mean, it, like, if it was just one, like, I, I don't know. Like, it, it could be that he just had a bad night, you know, against Colorado, which, or excuse well, against Cal, which that could happen. And then they played Colorado, which, like, the flipping curse of boulder man like that's oh, yeah. the other thing is like i don't want to like draw too many conclusions from a game in boulder because of like the boulder curse yeah. so like i'm i'm really hesitant about like drawing lines here well so, i mean you know, even even yeah even at the end of my cal article i literally just like straight up i know that stuff i was just like unfortunately now they have to go to dreaded boulder and i think i even wrapped it up by saying like fortunately they'll never have to play there again anytime yes, soon because we're moving to the big 10 and like that. it was like if people thought i was like joking like <laughs> no i i wasn't like i was but it's but just to wrap it to, to wrap it up on cal what i did want to say is that like as they are trying to you know figure out how to rotate in and give dante minutes and you know cook cook too you know some some time you know you know and while that is you know somewhat disruptive to the rhythm so it's sort of like i don't know you know what's going on with evans but like you know so quendo had like a monster dunk in this game but otherwise not particularly productive you know he's yeah. like you know two for seven from the floor one for five from three you know yeah. but like Keyshawn bartholomew steps up and is you know 12 points on five for seven shooting yeah and we hadn't, seen, we hadn't seen a lot of offensive production out of bartholomew this year yeah right? i know jatrian yeah. tracy who a couple of weeks ago on a podcast i feel bad about saying it like he got into to foul trouble at some point and i was like oh so we didn't see much of him not like i really mind because he never produces anything he's been producing you know yeah. in the last couple of games he's been like a really valuable player for oregon it's like well now i feel bad like uh <laughs> You know, and, and so it's like, I don't know, what does it say over the door? Sometimes you, sometimes me, you know, like, the, you know, that's what you get out of Dana Altman team is like, okay, oh, yeah. so, so Quendo's only going to produce five points. You know, Evan's only going to produce two points. Something's, you know, going screwy. Brennan Rigsby couldn't miss a shot in Pullman, but now he's only producing six points. Well, okay. You know, Bartholomew and Tracy are going to, you know, combine for 26 points between the two of them. That's cool. You know, like. I, or it's just sort of the you know the nature of the team like it's Dana Altman he aligns Rubik's cubes you know oh yeah well you you see that like that's like you said though you see that all the time out of Altman teams though you see just like you know totally different players explode and step up in totally different games and then you may be expecting them to do the same thing the next time but then they fade into oblivion while another player has a monster game I yeah. You know, I'll, well, I'll, I've been saying that's what I've been saying about Oquendo all year long. Well, I do not understand this dude. He either gets like two points or 15, you know, and well, it's, I'll, I'll never it's forget. 
I mean, I'll never forget uh, a decade ago when Oregon was 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 juggling their two point guards, uh, and they had uh, Dominic Artis uh, mm-hmm. kind of like explode out of the gate, like, "Whoa, man, this guy's playing phenomenal as a freshman and everything." And everybody kind of got on Johnny Lloyd's case, like, eh, "He's too little. He's too now. Nah, he's, he's he should try playing football or something." He's, a, mm-hmm. you know. And then all of a sudden, it's just like as the season progresses it just completely flips the other way. And by the time you get to the conference tournament, everybody's like, you know, Johnny Lloyd's the MVP. He's the one that did it. And it's just like, but I'm just like, that's nothing we haven't seen before from Altman teams. It's, it really is kind of just like, you know, you, me, him, whoever it needs to be on that particular night, which I mean, it's, it can be weird, but it, it's a good thing because you have different players leading you to different wins and different games. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's why Dan Altman has like times as many wins as, you know, the, you know, Tommy Lloyd and, 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 uh, you know, guys at the other end of the conference, like, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy knows what he's doing. All right. Let's, uh, we come back. We'll talk about the Colorado game. So uh, we we were recording just after uh, Oregon's you know humiliation in Boulder. Uh, I I don't know how you feel about this game. Like I always just find it kind of funny. Like I mean, I yeah, I, there's not much to say. I mean, it's good that you saw three different times that Colorado kind of took over the game. And two of those times, Oregon was able to fight back. Uh, so I guess if you're going to take away something from this game positive, that's the good thing to see. Uh, but the final time that Colorado kind of took control, then they just took control for good. And that was all she wrote. Um, but it was at least encouraging to see when Colorado opened up with the lead, like you kind of expected they would, that Oregon would, was able to fight back, get a lead of their own. And then when Colorado built another, you know, bigger lead at halftime and whatnot, Oregon was able to get that down, you know, to two in the second half and everything. Uh, but it's, uh, I don't know, man, it's, 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 it's that boulder curse. It's real. I don't I don't know if it's just a, a, a psych thing or what, but. I mean, I, well, number one, they have Cody Williams, who's just, you know, went insane, you know, 10 for 13 from the floor and like four four from beyond the arc. Like, you're just like, okay, you know, you know, they, they shoot 42% from, from beyond the arc, you know, the the entire team does like, you know, great, great. Of course they do. Uh, you know that uh, i mean really the differential in the game is that both teams have nine steals but colorado gets 28 fast break points and oregon only gets 13 you know that that's actually the deciding stat of the game um you know uh you know colorado would steal the ball and was like basically automatic in in getting points off of the steal whereas mm-hmm. oregon would steal the ball and was like less than 50% getting you know points off of the steal uh you know sort of the deciding thing um you know and then the other you know the the other thing that's relevant is the foul situation where Look, this is, I mean, this is like playing in the McHale Center, you know, where, 
you know, Colorado gets to hand check you all night long. And, and if Oregon breathes on you, they call the foul. I, like, I don't, I don't want to belabor it too much, but I mean, cause, cause I, I, I kind of hate like anytime you go into any basketball thread and it, you know, the top comment is always the worst officiated game that yeah. I've ever seen. It's like, really? <laughs> Literally every game is the worst officiated, you know, yeah. like I, you gotta, you gotta I, pick I, one there, my boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, man, I, you know, the, 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 the games that are played in McHale and the games that are played in Boulder are are actually the worst officiated games that are played in the Pac-12 every year because, like, I don't, you know, because the home team, you know, gets to get away with any, you know, stuff that the visiting team does not like. Yeah, and, well, I like, mean, in, in the McHale Center, I kind of get it just given the atmosphere because that place has an atmosphere you know similar to your dukes and north carolinas and kentuckys and stuff like that but that's the one thing i you know i've even i've even been to a game in boulder and uh i gotta say it's it's not that hostile of an atmosphere it's not that loud or raucous of a place it's just that's something about it just gets in their heads so then the relevance of that is not actually the amount of free throw shooting. The relevance of that is Diawara gets in foul trouble. Yeah. And Diawara being foul trouble means that they have to play in Folly Dante. And and like we were talking about, like he the dude's on roller skates, right? Yeah. And, and so like I understand why people are sort of like you know, like maybe a little upset about, you know, Dante being in because like, you know, he, he's not as effective of a defender and like, he can't make points. First of all, you know, Diawara is also not going to make any points for you, but like the team, the, the team keeps shoveling it to Dante because they expect him to be making points, but then he doesn't. Whereas they're not doing that really with DOR. I mean, once or twice they do, but like, but you know, like it's sort of like they feel programmed to dish Dante the ball. And then he's a, you know, a void of production. That's a problem. And second, he's just not as, I mean, like they need to, they need to play. They need to play uh, around him, not through him at yeah. this point, you know, like kind of yeah. keep, keep doing what you were doing before with D.O.R. down there. But uh, just, you know what I mean? You just, you have someone who's taking up even more space, but then on the other hand, the dude did generate three steals in the game. Like, yeah. I mean, like Oregon was sort of fiends, especially to start out the second half and like stealing the ball. Yeah, it's just like like I said, they weren't really like consistently turning them into points, you know. But that, you know, that's an offensive production problem. But anyway, that I just wanted to know that like that's the foul. The, the issue, the foul issue, is that it was like it was all concentrated on Diawara for stuff that was like really like you've got to be kidding me stuff, yeah. and like very tick for tack. I know, and like I am not one to like. I mean, any listener who's been listening to this podcast for a long time, like you know that I do not on basketball like complain about fouls, you know, really that much. Like, and for it to rise to the level of me complaining about it means like I was getting annoyed. Like I was getting pretty annoyed. Uh, you know, you know, not just at, like the ticky tack stuff, but it was like it was a pretty clear discrepancy, and like you know. I was just like, I literally watched you call a foul on Oregon for doing that. Like, you know, where is it on Colorado stuff? Yeah. Um, 
And uh, so anyway, like, you know, and that's the way that it affects the game is the, D, you know, it's all on Diwara, And so they're losing their interior defender. And they're like, guess what? That, you know, that's where the, you know, in it. So in addition to the fact that Colorado can't miss from three, they, they also get to go inside whenever they want, um, you know, because, the, you know, so they wind up having to have like, you know, Shellstad and Rigsby, who are both small guys playing against, you know, you know, big guys for taking inside. And it's like, OK, oh, they can't stop this. Like you know great that's great like (laughs) yeah the frustration frustration level uh definitely has to be at a premium after games like this well i don't know i found myself just sort of laughing through it like that's i mean that's what i was trying to say is like i just expected this to be like a funny law in fact to the point where like oregon battles back and it, at, at, at a couple points, like takes the lead. I'm sort of like, yeah, because Dean Altman's a good coach, and like this is a talented team. And even like with the you know crazy Boulder Magic, like you can't and and like in Oregon's like dumb injury situation, like you can't fully suppress you know Oregon because I think this is actually a pretty good team. Um, yeah, and I actually think they're gonna you know when they're fully healthy, they're actually gonna make a lot of noise. You know, oh yeah, well and that's I mean that's that that's something that. And is, so I sort of is, is exciting, you know, is that, you know, when this team is healthy and peaking, it'll be right around that famous Altman time, you know, right. <laughs> like, so. and so I sort of view this game as sort of like the, the inverse of the Cal game, you know, where it was like once Oregon took control of the Cal game that they were playing, you know, they, they were giving Mookie Cook and Dante uh, and probably Dante more minutes. Yeah. Uh, like, I feel like you know, during the time when this game got silly, like it was like, you know, okay, more on Folly Dante time and, and more, you know, Mookie cook time. And, and we even saw Nate Biddle for, for, you know, a, a hot minute, like, yeah. um, you, you know, and like, I still don't know what's happened to Kwame Evans production. I mean, he was, he's, he was net negative 15 in his plus minus, uh, which is just like, are you kidding me, dude? Yeah. Like, like not only are you not making buckets, but your defense is crap. Like, this is bad. Like, yeah. well, like not, what not a good sign from some. On the other who... hand, like, like I said, like I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to say you can have one bad night, which is Cal, and then the Colorado game in Bolter is an automatic write off. So really, it, it's like, it, it's like. uh you redshirted in 2019 and then 2020 is the COVID rated right off season. So really none of this is counted <laughs> is my, you know, now if against Utah, he still stinks, uh, you know, then, then we'll talk. But like so far I've been willing to say like, okay, nothing's really wrong. Um, yeah. Been a couple, been a couple bad games here, um, but it's, it's concerning. Like I yeah. said, it'll it'll become more concerning if on Saturdays and another no show. But like I'm just not like anything that happens in Boulder, I'm just willing to just like ignore oh, it. Oh yeah, just throw like, it away. I just don't like I don't care. Like it's pretty it, much it's pretty much like going to Tucson football. It's just like whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. if you yeah, anything that happens that's good, you get to keep, and anything that happens that's bad, like you get to throw away. So who cares? Like so you know, uh, you know. 
Cousinard came through with some clutch baskets. You know, uh, Barthelme put up nine points. Tracy put up 14 points. You yeah. know, uh, well, and, you, and you got hats, some... off, hats off to Cousinard. He's been by far the most consistent player of the season. And um, I really think that, you know, I mean, obviously, the dude's been playing college basketball for six years or whatever, but. You know what I mean? He's 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 kind of the, the Knicks of the team, and if there's someone you can rely on, at least so far this season, it's been Kuznard. But like you know, everybody chips in a little something, you know. And, and Folly Dante puts in seven. You know, Shellstad gets nine. Rigsby gets eight. You know, you know, Quendo gets six. Uh, like I said, Bartholomew. You know, nine. Even Dior gets three points. You know. Then you make their free throws. I, I, I sure don't like 10 for 17 from the charity stripe. Like, uh, you know, there's there's nothing about Boulder that keeps you from making free throws. I'm like, you know, t- Tad Boyle's not running onto the floor and keep you from from making yeah. free throws, guys. Like, it's a psychological thing, and I'm not I'm not sure what the deal is with not being able to overcome it. But like I said in my Cal piece. Thank, thank God we won't really have to deal with that anymore moving forward. I know. Uh, it's really, the, you know, maybe the best part of Conference Realign. You know, it ain't the money. It ain't the television contracts, the stable conference. It's not the exposure or historic, you know, stadiums or, or any. No, it's not having to play in not Boulder. Not having to play in Boulder. Or Pullman or, or Tucson. Or Tucson or yeah. <laughs> these houses of horrors. Yeah, exactly. Like West Lafayette's the is as bad as it gets in the big yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh you got anything else you want to say about this game if we just flush it uh not too much i i even even as a as a writer and oregon fan i'm i'm kind of just like brushing this game under the rug uh, not not too much to think about, to be honest. I mean, first game this whole year, we've gotten to see, you know, Biddle and Cook and Dante on the floor, you yeah. know. Uh, so, which is uh, nice. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, like I said, a- a- anything that happens that's good, you get to keep, you know. And it was good that those guys got some time. I am glad that, you know, m- my God, you know, it- it's... It's the 18th of January, you know, not, not February, not March. Oh yeah. No, you know, and, and we all, we all know, we all know February and March are Altman time. So yeah, we're exactly. Gonna, we're going to be healthy at the right time. Yeah. Like th- this game didn't happen at a time when it would be, you know, against a full strength Oregon, when it would be really discouraging. This game happened, you know, the inevitable loss to Colorado in Boulder, you know, happened when, uh, you know, it's in yeah. like who cares time. And as far as I know, we're still pretty much sitting atop the Pac 12. So don't uh, forget. I think so, because Arizona yeah. State lost, uh, like humiliatingly to, to, uh, to UCLA. Uh, who, who's like actually the worst team in the conference? Um, uh, and and Bobby Hurley did his best Al Pacino and Scarface impression, which is just like, <laughs> like what a buffoon that dude is. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Arizona State's, you know, difficult to figure out, you know, where, you know, where they were like Ken Palm had them as one of the worst teams in the conference. And then they go on a tear and they start beating teams, you know, that they're they're like upsetting teams that were way better than them. And Ken Palm and sort of like, well, hold on. Did you get this wrong? You know, and then they promptly turn around and they lose to to Washington and UCLA, you know, yeah. who, the, you know, so it's like, well, what's I don't understand. You know, but like, I don't know. Good luck understanding Bobby Hurley team. Um, I don't know that, you know, it's really funny about the Colorado thing is that like just as regular as it is that Oregon loses to Colorado in Boulder is that like, is that, is that Colorado loses to Oregon in Eugene and the return trip for Colorado is March 7th. It's the second to last it's regular season Pac-12 yeah, game for Oregon so, ever. In all um, realism, revenge is coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like Oregon lost this one by 16. You know, like Dana Alden's going to like, you know, kiss off Tad Boyle and beat him by like 30, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we've seen that happen before, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, that uh, 2017 Final Four team, same thing. I think they... Yeah lost to Colorado and Boulder and then in Eugene uh, put up a, over a hundred on him or something yeah. of that nature. It was, it was something like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm so I yeah, like a full strength Oregon like gets his like I never want to see you again, Tad Boyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you remember this. You remember this for forever. Yeah. All right. I think that'll do it first this week. Uh you got any parting words of wisdom first, Adam? As often as we lose in Boulder, we seem to win in Salt Lake City. So let's just hope hmm. that uh, tradition stays alive. Uh, yeah, uh, the the other Coach K is also is no longer there. Dana Altman did kind of kind of own that dude. Um, I, I don't really know anything about the other Coach Smith um, uh, uh, in Utah. Um, but uh, I don't know. Utah has been a, a halfway decent team this year, although a, a halfway decent team in the Pac-12 when like the only decent team is Arizona and then Arizona's not really that good. Like, you know, they, they lost to Stanford and Wazoo. Um, I don't know, man. Like, we'll see. We'll see if Kwame Evans pulls out of this slump. I, I want to see that. Uh, that yeah, that's actually like project number one for, for us to see. But that will wait for another day. Uh, we're all uh, up here in Portland digging out of this ice storm. Um, I was actually pretty glad to see some of the rain come down and wash this stuff away. I hope uh, you're doing okay now that you got power back. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, I hope everybody's uh, warm, safe, and dry out there because it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>